chapter 6. Actually, the song that our children just sang was part of the inspiration for sharing this word with you today. And I want to ask you a couple of questions. Would you like for God to use you? Is it important to you that your life counts for something? As a follower of Christ, do you want your life to actually make a difference for the kingdom of God, for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whether you are a young child that's come to know Christ, a teenager, young adult, older adult, senior adult, does, does it matter to you that your life has reason and purpose here on this earth? On one occasion in the Peanuts comic strip that you probably obviously are aware of, Linus was aggravating Lucy and continually was asking her, tell me a story. Tell me a story. Tell me a story. And of course, eventually, you know, Lucy exasperated and says, okay, I'll tell you a story. A man was born. He lived. And he died. And then as fashion of Lucy, she just walked away. <laughs> but let me ask you a question. Is that going to be the testimony of your life? You lived, you were born, you lived, you died. You drew your breath, you drew your salary, you existed to live, you lived to exist. Then it's all over. Does it matter to you personally in your heart that your life counts for something, and as a follower of Christ, that God could actually use you. Well, I want to share with you this morning as we look at the man Gideon and his story, parts of his story, and I want to share with you five characteristics of a person, man, woman, boy, or girl, that the Lord can use. So let's look at it beginning in the first one, and that is this, that the Lord uses common people. The Lord uses common people. I, I want to begin reading in verse 11. I'm going to read through verse 16, and then we will kind of take this apart and look at all the things that we need to hear about this word, the people that God uses. Beginning in verse 11, the scripture says this, that the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abirite, and his son Gideon, who is beating out wheat in the wine press in order to save it from the Midianites. So let me give you a little background, because this is important. It was dark days for the children of Israel. They were under great oppression. The Midianites had really turned the, the children of Israel into nothing but slaves. And they were basically living in fear. They had, they had hunkered down and just was trying to, to make it day by day. And Gideon was among those. He had hunkered down. He had, like the rest of the children of Israel, basically just thrown in the towel. We have no hope. 
the enemies of God, of our God, the enemies of our, our people are having victory after victory after victory. And, and so here's Gideon. He's not where he should be in dealing with the grain. He's actually in hiding. He's in a place where he hopes he's not going to be found because he knows the Midianites could come in and just take everything he's got. And so they had no expectation whatsoever that God was going to do anything. Basically, throw in the towel, hunker down, and just wait for some day for something to happen. It's kind of like, you know, today, in our day and time. It, it breaks my heart to recognize that uh, it seems like not all but most believers, not all but most bodies of Christ have kind of adopted that same attitude. We look at what's happening around us, let's be honest, and it seems like the enemies of God and the enemies of God's people are winning victory after victory after victory, taking over our culture, dominating our culture, uh, having a direct impact on our lives, our children's lives, our grandchildren's lives. And it seems like so many believers are just existing in fear. They've just hunkered down. And instead of singing that song or living by the song we used to sing a long time ago, Onward Christian Soldiers, we're just, you know, we're just embracing the song, Hold the Fort to Jesus Come. Now, let's just hang on. Maybe Jesus is coming soon, and maybe he is. I have an inkling that we might be there, but that's not the issue. The issue is, is God still God today? In the eyes of the children of Israel, we'll read in just a moment, they weren't expecting miracles, they weren't expecting God to show up. They actually were blaming God for everything that was going on. And we have, seems like the church is that way today. And so many believers are that way today, just kind of hunkered down and just holding on, just waiting for Jesus to come. And we're just trying to treat God as though God is not as God as he used to be. He's not as powerful as he used to be. Well, my friend, God hasn't changed at all. May I remind you, he still is the one who created this universe. He's still the one who parted the waters, who brought life out of death. He hasn't changed at all. The problem has to do with us as it did with the children of Israel. So it's a dark day. God needed someone he could use to bring deliverance. So the scripture goes on to say, as we read in verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. Then Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if, if the Lord is with us, why then has this, all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian. Have I not sent you? I want you to listen carefully to these two verses. Let me begin again in verse 14. The Lord looked at him and said, go in this your strength and deliver Israel from the hand of Midian, have I not sent you? And he said to him, oh Lord, how shall I deliver Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my father's house. So let me kind of create the situation for you. Gideon responding to the call of God, his life says, Lord, you know who you're talking to here? I'm of the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh is the least of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
My family that is one of the families here in the tribe of Manasseh is the least of families. We're the poorest of all, and of all the children, I'm the runt of the litter. You can't use me. So let me make this statement. Are you listening? Say amen. Never, ever insult God by telling him he can't use you. Let me say that again. Never, ever insult Almighty God telling him that he can't use you. When we look back in verse 12, and this is how this song that they just sang kind of moved my heart in this direction. It says in verse 12 that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he, he addressed him this way, the Lord is with you, O violent warrior, man of valor, some translation. Well, that's not the way Gideon saw himself, was it? Hey, I'm in the least tribe, I have, live in the poorest family, and I'm the run of the liver, of, of the family. You can't use me. But God didn't see Gideon the way Gideon saw himself. He doesn't see you the way you see yourself. He sees us the way he can use us when he's working in us and through us. So Gideon sees himself as of the smallest of the tribes, of the poorest of the families, of the least of the family, the, the least of the least of the least. No way God can use me. And God said, no, in my power, you are a gallant warrior. Why don't you turn with me just for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I love this passage. It's humbling, but I love this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and beginning in verse 26. Now, Paul is describing to the Corinthians, the Christians there in Corinth, who they are in Christ. Because God's going to use them to turn the world upside down and use them to help bring down the Roman Empire. So he says, you need to know who you are. And, and so he begins in verse 26. Listen to this very carefully. He says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. In other words, he says, hey, just look around. Look at the congregation. Just look around. And notice there are not many PhDs here. Didn't say there were none. Praise the Lord. But he said, notice there are not many wise according to the flesh. Those PhDs. Then he says, and not only that, there are not many mighty. I'm like, look around. You know, those are the, the outstanding ones. The world says, oh, oh, wow, look at this person. Look how they sing. Listen to how they sing. And look at the gifts they got and the talents they got and the success. Look at all the toys that they got in their life. And the world supports these people. And boy, they're outstanding. They're awesome. And Paul says, now look around. <laughs> you don't see many of those here either, do you? So he said, you don't see many PhDs. You don't see many of these that the world is clamoring over. And then he adds this, he says, and you don't see many noble. You know, those born with the, the silver spoon in their mouth, so to speak. He says, you don't see many of them. He didn't say none. You don't see many. 
He says, look, the congregation you have there. Who are you? What are you made up of? And then he begins to lay it out for us. And this is a little humbling, but let's just kind of embrace it uh, as the word of God. He says in verse 27, but he has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. That word foolish is a Greek word moro, and it's where we get our English word moron. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world. That's talking about physical weakness, those who have disabilities, those who are sickly, those that, you know, they're not strong, but, and, and maybe they're just struggling with those type of things. And, and, you know, those things we use as excuses. I, I just got to the point, I'm too old, I got arthritis, I got this, I got a pinched nerve, all of these things. I have this disability and this disability. Guess what? God's looking for you. Just look around. Look who God is using. He's using the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He's using the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. He's using the base things of the world, those who have nothing really, the poor, don't have all this wealth. And then he adds this, and then he uses the despised. God has chosen to despise those who are just the, as far as the world's concerned, they're the bottom of the barrel. Common people. <laughs> not too many PhDs, not too many worldly outstanding people that the world clamors over. Not all these people that born with a silver spoon in their mouth, but just common people. Never, ever insult God and tell him he can't use you. There was a concert up in New Jersey a number of years ago. It was a violinist and well-known, and it was advertised that in this concert, he was going to use one well, of the most valuable violins in the world. And of course, people want to hear this great violinist with this incredible violin, you know. And, and so they flocked there. The Shushan flocked there, and, and he began to play. And sure enough, they were blown away, just overwhelmed the beauty, the awesomeness of the sound that was coming from that violin. And when the concert was over, the, the, the violinist stepped up, and he took this violin in his hand. He went, boom, busted it into pieces. Silence. He could feel it. Stunned. He said, that was just a fiddle that I bought the other day for two or three dollars. What was his point? It wasn't the fiddle. It was who was playing the fiddle. It made the difference. You may see yourself as a cheap fiddle, but I want you to know in the hands of the master, in the hands of Almighty God, he can play the most beautiful music and your life can make such an incredible difference for the kingdom of God. Never, ever insult God by telling him 
he can't use you. The Lord uses common people. But notice the second thing here. Not only that the Lord uses common people, look a little bit deeper in this story, and we see that the Lord uses cleansed people. Now, let me tell you what I'm talking about. Uh, the scripture says that, that uh, if you look with me in verses 25 and 26, that, that Gideon began to struggle with this call. Of course, he knows this of God. And he's trying to get a sense of, Lord, is this true? Are you really calling me? And, and the Lord says, well, there's something I need for you to do. And he describes what that is in verses 25 and 26. Listen carefully what he said to him. God said to him, now on the same night the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's bull and a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of this stronghold in an orderly manner, and take a second bull and offer a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah which you shall cut down. What's happening here? Children in Israel had a real big problem with idolatry. And particularly they worshipped the God called Baal. Now Baal was fertility God and without obviously going to any details at all, everything you can think of in terms of wickedness and immorality and all of that was all part of the worship of Baal, including even the sacrifice of children. And God said, I can't use you and I can't use Israel till you get the idols out of your life. I want you to go tear down that idol and then build an altar of worship unto me. So that I am preeminent. I am exceedingly abundantly above everything else that is in your heart. Listen to me, brothers, sisters, no matter how what your age is, young, old, whatever, God cannot use you. God cannot use me until I get the idols out of my life. You say... <laughs> Just stand with This is 2021. We don't have idols. Who are you kidding? We probably got more idols now than ever before. Of course, I do know that there were some 35,000 idols in Athens, Greece at that time. Not at that time, but when the Apostle Paul was preaching. He said, well, what is an idol? I'm going to give it to you right here. Write this down. An idol. Anything that you love more, that you serve more, and you value more than the Lord himself. Let me just say it again. I, I wish I could just rivet it into your mind. Anything, anyone that you love more, you serve more, you value more than the Lord your God. Now you may be saying, well, this, this, this thing over here is, in and of itself is not sin. I, that's not the issue. If you love it more, you serve it more, you value it more, it is sin in your life. And God says, 
I use common people. I want to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things through. But I need to use cleansed people as they need people who have gotten the idols out of their life. Have you gotten the idols out of your life? I, I think we all need to take a spiritual inventory. I, and I'm putting me right in the middle of that with every one of us. It's a spiritual inventory of my life and, and to look at the things in my life and compare that to my love and my service and the value I put on this incredible relationship I have with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because God cannot use us with idols in our lives. So the Lord uses common people. And the Lord uses cleansed people. But listen to this. The Lord uses courageous people. Courageous people. We learn in verse 34, we'll come back to that a little bit later, but we learn in verse 34 that Gideon blew the trumpet and the word went out that the men needed to come for battle coming against the Midianites and the Amalekites who had gathered in the valley uh, to come against them. And and 32,000 men showed up. It's down there about, well, good. (laughs) This is going to be a big battle. But the Lord said, got a problem. I can't use most of these men. And so the scripture tells us in verses four through eight, what the, I mean, chapter seven, verses two and three, what the Lord told Gideon to do. Watch this. The Lord said to Gideon, the people who are with you are too many for me to give Midian into their hands. For Israel become boastful, saying, my own power has delivered me. In other words, they would, they would draw the glory to themselves, and they would magnify, look what we have done. Instead of recognizing it was Almighty God that gave them the victory. So the Lord said, here's what we got to do. He says, therefore, come proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is afraid and trembling, let him return and depart from, from the Mount Gilead. In, in other words, Gideon said, all right, guys, 32,000 guys, if you are afraid, if you're driven by a spirit of fear, now we're talking about, we're not talking about healthy fear, you know, like a rattlesnake, that's a healthy fear. Do I have a witness on that? You understand what I'm saying? But he says, if you are afraid, If you're not a place where you can trust God in this battle, you just need to go home. God can't use you. 22,000 men walked away. He lost two-thirds of his army because of fear. With Almighty God on their side. Why? Because they'd expect God to help. They were like Gideon previously saying, where are the miracles? Where are the awesome things that God has done before? We don't see it. And so out of fear, they walked away. Listen to me, I'll be blunt here. If you're a coward, if you're a coward, God can't use you. It's not that he doesn't want to use you. 
It's just that he can't, he needs courageous people. He needs brave men, brave women, brave young boys in school, brave young girls in school that are not afraid to stand and be courageous in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know me, I'm, I'm a gentle guy. I mean, I think you understand this statement. I'm not going to get in your grill. I'm going to tell you the truth, but I'm not going to get in your face. That's just not my nature. I'm going to tell you something, and I mean this with all my heart. Let me give you this verse. Scripture says in 1 John 4:18 that love casteth out fear. It's a declaration of the Word of God. Why am I telling you that? I'm a gentle God. You come after my family, I'm going to get in your grill. You come after my wife, my children, my, their families, my grandchildren, I'm going to get in your grill. This gentle guy is going to be far more courageous. Because I love them. Makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? It's not a matter, are we brave enough, but do we love God enough? Because love catches our feet. He lost two-thirds. Let me tell you something else about fear. It's contagious. I'm a witness on that. It's contagious. Look at this in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 20, in verse 8. It said, Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house so that, listen to this, he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. It's contagious. There were two preachers talking. That was dangerous in and of itself. But And one preacher said to the other preacher, y'all have committees in your church? It must have been Baptist. Because we, uh, we love committees. And uh, the other pastor said, yeah, I got, I got, they started naming all these committees. And the other said, yeah, I've got those committees too. And then, and then the first preacher said, well, I bet you don't have a cold water committee. And he said, well, I don't know, what's a cold water committee? He said, well, when anyone gets on fire for Jesus, they just throw cold water on them. If anyone has the vision to step out in faith and trust God, they just throw water on it and run around telling everybody else how we can't do that. Are you with me? Say amen. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Here's what Paul says. Timothy, look at this with me. 2 Timothy 1.7, it's up on the screen. God has not given us the spirit of timidity or fear. I don't come from the Lord. But he's given us power. That's almighty power. His power. 
He's given us love. We just talked about the power of love. Loving God. And he's given us the power of a sound mind. You know what a sound mind is? It's a mind that stays focused on this word. The truth. And by staying focused on this word, word, listen to me, their minds are not trampled on by the sinister minister of deceit, which is called deception, which is called Satan, the liar. If you allow Satan to to stomp on your mind with his lies and his deception, you're not going to have a sound mind. You're not going to be courageous. And it's going to be doubtful how God really can use you and make a difference in this life. Because God's looking for a common person. He's looking for common people, cleansed people and courageous people. But fourthly, he is looking for cautious people. So wait a minute, that's kind of contradiction, isn't it? Courageous, cautious, no, 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 no. No, no, look at this. Judges 7, beginning in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Bring them down to the water and I will test them for you. Therefore, it shall be that he of whom I say to you, this one go with you and and he shall go with you. For everyone of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you. He shall not go. So God created a test. And basically what he did is to take them down to the water and let them get a drink of water. And those who get on their knees and stick their face in the water to suck up that water, send them home. He's already sent the fearful home. Now he's sending the foolish home. Why? Because they're defenseless. They have no idea what's happening around their faces in the water. And the enemy's just right around the corner. He said, but those who get on one knee, cup up that water, looking and sipping. Those are the ones you want to use. Keep them. Because they are cautious. Spiritually cautious. He ended up with 300. So he's gone from 32,000 to 300 to fight this battle. Our adversary wants to sabotage your life. And he wants to sabotage anything God desires to do in you and through you. He wants to sabotage your marriage. He wants to sabotage your family, every part of your life. And we can't just stick our head in the sand and say, well, our God is almighty God. Yes, he is, but he reminds us. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 that our adversary is, is roaring like a lion. He's prowling around. We have to be alert because he's seeking to devour us. So God says, I, want, I need somebody. 
I need people I can use even right now in America. He needs people. He needs believers. He needs bodies of Christ who are common. Bodies of Christ that cleanse. Bodies of Christ that are courageous. Believers who are courageous but who are cautious. Who understand the spiritual battle that is going on. And then lastly, I close with this. The Lord uses confident people. You can kind of imagine where Gideon was. Had 32,000. Now he's got 300. And there are at least two armies plus together that he's going to have to fight. Thousands of men. He needed some confidence. <laughs> so God gave him some. Scripture says the Lord sent him at night to go to the camp of the Midianites. Sneak into the camp of the Midianites. I will be with you. So Gideon goes to the camp of the Midianites. And the Scripture says, beginning in verse 12, he heard a conversation. Of course, the Lord God set this up, right? Heard a conversation. And here's how that conversation went. Beginning in verse 12. Chapter 7, verse 12. It says, now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the sons of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts. Kind of give you a visual of what it looked like to Gideon. And their camels were without number, as numerous as the sand of the sea. And when Gideon came, behold, a man was relating a dream to his friend. And he said, behold, I had a dream. A loaf of barley bread, which is the cheapest bread of all, was tumbling into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and it, tur- and it turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. Now, it's not a single tent. talking about the whole camp of the Midianites. And the Amalekites. That's what he saw in his dream. Small loaf of cheapest bread rolling down a hill, demolished all these armies in this dream. His friend replied, This is nothing less than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given Midian and all the camp into his hand. And when Gideon heard the account of the dream and its interpretation, he bowed in worship. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord God has given the camp into our hands. In other words, he saw that God was still God. How do you see God? Do you really expect God to do something? I'm not talking about lip service. We're good at that. Let's be honest. We're good. The Lord, there's nothing impossible for the Lord our God. I got it. It's declared in the Word of God. We can say that. But do we live it? Do we live it as followers of Christ? Do we live it as the body of Christ? Do we really expect God to be God among us as he was in the past with his people? That's what we're talking about. God says, that's the kind of person I need. Scripture says in verse 34, I've got I to give you this and then pull it together. But it says in verse 34, so the Spirit of the Lord 
came upon Gideon. Now, here's what I want you to see. You read that verse and say, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. So we, we picture Gideon and the Holy Spirit coming upon him. Wrong. Here's what Hebrew says. The Holy Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. That's what it literally means. The Holy Spirit clothed himself with Gideon. How would you like to be the garment of the Holy Spirit of God? Can I put that in New Testament terms? Gideon was filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. A common man, a cleansed man, now a courageous man, a cautious man, but a confident man. And God used this ordinary man to do something extraordinary to literally defeat all these thousands and thousands of soldiers with 300 men. Back to the original question. Does it matter that your life counts? As the Father of Christ, does it matter if you have an impact for your Lord and your Savior? Is it important? Or are you dissatisfied with being born, living, and dying? Never, ever insult God, telling Him. He can't use you. So, Father God, Lord, speak to our hearts. Reveal the excuses. They're nothing but excuses. Show us our idols. Deal with the fear that shackles us. Lord, convict us of keeping our eyes open because we have an adversary who is seeking to destroy us. But Lord, wake up. Wake up. You're still almighty God. Problem's not with you. Lord, God is with us. Help us to see that every single one of us, you can do extraordinary things through if we'll let you. In Jesus' name, amen.